This podcast is brought to you by VinZero. VinZero pioneers solutions and services to the AEC and manufacturing industries to support net zero targets. Visit VinZero.com to learn more about how organisations design, build and solve through digitalisation. From VinZero to you, welcome to our Think Future podcast series. Each week we'll share conversations with industry leaders from around the world to find out how they're thinking future. Subscribe to VinZero Think Future for access to more episodes, interviews and profiles. Ben Evans is the Federal Legislative Director at the US Green Building Council, helping lead the Council's advocacy work in Washington DC, promoting green buildings and sustainable communities. Ben brings more than 20 years of experience working in politics, government affairs and communications, mostly in the energy sector including time as a political journalist for the Washington Bureau of the Associated Press, where he covered the Landmark Energy Policy Act of 2005. Ben has a master's degree in journalism and a bachelor's degree in political science. It's great to have you here today, Ben. Welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Perhaps you could start by sharing a little about your journey to the U.S. Green Building Council. Thanks again for having me. I'm I'm excited to be here and talk about all things green buildings. I probably had an unusual uh, route to to the Green Building Council. I started my career, I I grew up always interested in in politics and was a political science major in college and and have always just followed politics closely and started my career as as a reporter, as a political reporter, covering local government and then moving to Washington, D.C. and covering Congress and, and federal issues. And along the way, I, I picked up uh, sort of a, a little bit of a, a bug for energy and particularly clean energy. It just was something that that struck me as this critically important movement that we needed to accelerate. And I spent some time covering while I was covering Congress for a publication called Congressional Quarterly, which really gets into the nitty gritty of, of issues and, and, and politics in Congress. Um, I covered uh, uh, one of the hallmark energy bills of the past couple of decades, which was the 2005 energy bill that Congress passed and really, you know, got kind of uh, the bug for for clean energy from there. And I worked in, in journalism for a number of additional years and then eventually decided I wanna, wanted to move on. And, and uh, I worked for a, a clean fuels organization and then for an energy efficiency organization um, and joined the U.S. Green Building Council about a year ago. Uh, and I, I work on a, a lot of the same issues I've, I've worked on in previous jobs in terms of energy efficiency and obviously particular to buildings. So what's the actual mission of the U.S. Green Building Council? Yeah, so we are focused uh, on transforming the way uh, our, our buildings are designed and built and, and operated and, and to make them more sustainable and more resilient and, and healthier and more equitable. And obviously, you know, buildings and, and, and that includes homes, homes and buildings play such a critical role in our lives and, and in the makeup of our communities. They really are the fabric of our of our communities and they play a huge role in our in our health outcomes and 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 our resilience to, to disasters in our environment, um, our air quality. And so we're focused on on transforming the building sector to address all of those things um, and to do it in a way you know, allows for a thriving economy. We don't have to make sacrifices between, uh, you know, creating green buildings and and a thriving economy. We can do both. And in fact, green buildings creates huge opportunity for economic development and return on investment. 
So how do you actually drive that transformation? Well, I think so obviously LEED is the biggest uh, platform that we have. LEED is global certification system for green buildings. And I think it really transformed the way that we look at buildings in the world. It was developed uh, you know, 28 some years ago and created a pathway, I think, for building owners and the buildings community to recognize truly green buildings. Everyone was talking about sustainable buildings for a long time, but there was really not a clear and consensus way of, of measuring that and documenting that. And I think what LEED does is it, it, it creates a way to have standardizing, standardized metrics and criteria um, with transparency about how that would be measured um, and to provide recognition uh, for those that truly lead on these issues. And so, and it worked, it, it, it changed the way we think about buildings um, and it put us on a course toward greater sustainability in the built environment. But we do have a lot of work to do. You know, lead, obviously lead certified buildings have grown tremendously over the past couple of decades, but still make up a, a relatively small percentage of our, of our overall building stock. Uh, so we need to change that um, because I think particularly with climate, um, lead is a holistic and USGBC, is, it takes a holistic view to buildings, but climate change and the urgency of climate change right now is something that I think everyone recognizes or, or most of us recognize. And you know, we can't solve the climate crisis without addressing emissions from buildings. And the U.S. buildings account for about 40% of our energy consumption. They account for 31% of greenhouse gas emissions, but that's just from the operations. If you add on the embodied carbon in the materials, construction materials, it's more like 40 or 40 plus percent. And so you know, when you when you have a sector, that's more than any other sector. That's more than transportation. It's more than industry. And I think there's a there's a growing recognition that we we can't solve the climate crisis without addressing buildings. Um, and and so that's something we're very focused on. And I think we are excited about the work that can be done to to tackle that in the coming years. Ben, for those that don't know perhaps about the history of LEED, what can you share with us about where LEED first came from? Sure. So USGBC was founded in the in the mid-1990s and, and the first LEED version was developed a few years later in 1998. The first version, LEED 1.0, um, with a handful of, of pilot projects around the country. And then lead for new construction was officially rolled out in, in 2000. So it has been around for a couple of decades. And I think, you know, the genesis of it was, again, going back to sustainable buildings and how do you document that? How do you have transparency and accountability around sustainable buildings? Uh, not unlike uh, the conversation around ESG today, where we want to make sure that these goals, um, you know, if, if, if companies are, are saying they have sustainable practices and sustainable operations, how do we document them? that? How do we, how do we track that? How do we measure that and, and, um, and, you know, give recognition when, when it is actually happening. And I think that was, I think the founders of the U.S. Green Building Council, that was really the vision that, that we need to have a better way to do that with buildings. And here's a comprehensive way to do it. Obviously, um, you know, building design and construction is a very complex field and the sustainability of, of, of building design and construction is, is complex field. And, and so, it's something that is constantly evolving. 
there have been many different ver new versions of, of lead um, coming out uh, uh, since uh, that, that first official new construction uh, version in 2000. We also have expanded into other you know, new categories. It's not just for new construction. It's for existing buildings. It's for homes. We have um, you know, lead operations in, in other countries. And lead has, has had significant uptake in countries around the world. We have 106,000, more than 106,000 buildings now that are LEED certified around the country in 180 countries around the world. And then we've expanded into, into other areas. We have LEED for cities and communities where, where LEED, a, a city or, or a district within a city can band together and, and apply to become LEED certified, which is really exciting in terms of getting at scale and, and you know, portfolio level. Um, and, and, you know, a city or a district within a city can, can measure and manage their water consumption and their energy use and their waste and transportation. So that's all very exciting. And I think, you know, the other thing is LEED will continue to evolve. Our LEED team is in the process of now of, of re-envisioning LEED, uh, the next iteration and, and what it should look like for the next five years, what it should look like in, you know, 2030 and in 2040. Um, because the, 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 the environment obviously keeps evolving. We understand, I mean, particularly, I think as we start to see the real world consequences of climate change, you will see more of an emphasis on uh, things like electrification and, and, you know, elimination of at least on-site fossil fuel use in a building. So um, it will continue to evolve. And I think there's some exciting discussions happening now about how that will happen in the, in the very near term. Can we break down lead a little further just in that regard then? So in terms of the environmental impact or the environmental benefits that LEED certification offers when people are using that approach? In terms of, of the breakdown of LEED, um, the USGBC has always taken a holistic view of, of buildings. Um, and so sustainability is, is the biggest part. The energy and, and efficiency performance of buildings is the bigger biggest part of LEED. Um, but, but there are all sorts of criteria of how you can earn a LEED, LEED certification. Um, and it goes from everything from the location of your building, of where you're building, and whether it's close to you know mass transit or other um, dense uh, areas where people live and can walk and bike, to water efficiency, to the materials and, and resources you use to build the building, to indoor uh, air quality and environmental quality. You know what kind of ventilation and and uh, other approaches are you taking to improve your your indoor air quality. Um, and, and so it takes a holistic view of, of buildings um, and really tries to create a, a comprehensive uh, system for tracking and uh, designing and building. So there are some quite substantial economic benefits also. Can you take us through some of those? Yeah, of course. I, you know, there is a, a lot of data out there that shows that green buildings are, are green in, in more than one way um, and, and that, that they can have a hugely positive impact on a return on investment. You know, there's studies showing that LEED certified buildings um, higher rents than their non-LEED uh, peers. You know, and then if you look at the reduced operating costs, you know, obviously with green buildings, there is an upfront investment with, with investing in energy efficiency and these other things, there is an upfront investment, but we, we see consistent return on that investment. They reduce day-to-day -day costs year over year. Uh, lead buildings have reported almost 20% lower maintenance costs than typical commercial buildings. They typically decrease retrofits, typically decrease operation costs by almost 10% in just one year. Um, obviously, you have lower 
energy costs, energy bills, and then and then in terms of asset value, you see stronger growth in asset value because um, I think the market really recognizes green buildings. And, and we know that that is only going to increase. I mean, consumers are increasingly demanding that they that these buildings are sustainable. If you're a real estate company out there, you know um, that that you're going to have to deliver a sustainable building. A lead plaque is a, is a, is a great way to demonstrate that um, to the market. Uh, it's a, you know recognized across the world as a strong certification. This is something we think the, the market will continue to uh, to demand. So it's not just about the environment and economics, though. I mean, there are some strong results when it comes to health and well-being associated with LEED certification and, and the process that that entails. Can we talk through some of those benefits? Yeah, and obviously these are uh, benefits that are getting more and more attention with COVID. Um, indoor air quality is something that everyone uh, is paying a lot of attention to. You know, it's amazing what happens when you have to shut down schools around the world and, and what you see what that does to the economy. So, and I don't think that's going to be a flash in the pan. I think that's something that we will continue to see where people are focused um, a lot more on, on indoor air quality. And even before COVID, I think there was a lot of increased recognition around an awareness around what you know in, indoor air quality does to performance. There were studies showing that you know higher levels of COT, CO2 um, and what that did to, to, to worker performance. Uh, very high rates of asthma in certain communities and, and we know indoor air quality um, plays a, a big part in that and, and, and that that can have a, a, a significant impact on, on quality of life and, and success and, and future health. Um, so uh, LEED is, is very strong on, on IAQ, ensuring that you have your improved air quality over a, a base building, and then also focuses on things like lighting and daylighting that can, that can have a significant impact on, on, on mental health uh, in, in our buildings. And I should say, we also know that surveys show that that's what employees want. There's, there's a, a lot of evidence out there that employees are really looking when, as we're reentering, uh, you know, uh, the world and, and getting back to offices and we start to do that, we know that employees are looking for, for those sorts of um, uh, improvements. And, and again, LEAD is a, is a great way to demonstrate that. They certainly are. It's very topical at the moment. So one of the key goals for the USGBC is a green building for everyone within a generation. It's very aspirational, but what are the barriers to actually achieving that? It is aspirational and it is and it is a challenge. Um, you know, obviously there are a lot of buildings in the world um, and and you have to take it step by step. And I think, you know, I think one one way to look at the the challenges is to break it up between existing buildings and new buildings. Um, so I think the first thing is we have to stop digging the hole. And, and that means you have to stop building new buildings that are not energy efficient and high performing uh, and sustainable. And, and, you know, that gets at building energy codes and things like that, policies that, that require new construction to meet certain standards. And, and every country in the world should be doing that. We have to stop digging the hole um, and, and start making, because these buildings are going to be used for decades. They're going to be in use for decades. And we know that. And, and so we need to start making sure that they are uh, that they are sustainable from the get go. Existing buildings are, are a bigger challenge. And once a building is built, it is it is a little bit more uh, of, of a challenge to go back and retrofit it to be uh, more sustainable. And, and that's that's really where the, the bulk of our work, I think, as we see it, we have to tackle existing buildings. Obviously, the majority of buildings in the world are existing buildings. And and we 
we, we have to start making greater progress in retrofitting them. And there are lots of barriers to that. I mean, there is an upfront cost, as we've discussed, um, and people are wary of making that capital investment. There's a lack of transparency and understanding around the benefits and even the economic benefits that, that will come from it. You know, there's there's a short term thinking versus long term thinking. You you have to make there's a short term cost and long term gains, and oftentimes our our markets uh, don't re- reward those long term gains. They want to reward the, the short term uh, benefit. So um, that all of that creates this sort of market inertia that rewards the status quo, and we have to find a way to break that up. You know, I think a big part of that is going to be policy. We we need better policy. There are just too many flaws in these markets um, that that don't take in. We don't accurately value the benefits um, or account for the risks and the and the damage that's coming from this. And and so we have to correct that with policy. And and you know that that gets to everything from minimum requirements, codes, and standards to incentives for higher performance. Um, and I think also one of the things we need to do is is we need to do a better job of measuring and tracking. I mean, we're starting to see that in Europe and in the United States. In Europe, we're we're starting to see that uh, the United States, the Securities and Exchange Commission, um, has proposed a new rule that were, would require more climate disclosure, um, not just of your emissions of a, of a company's emissions, but also its climate risks, and that's you know going to be. Um, a, a big challenge for uh, for building owners, for for pe- companies that own large portfolios of buildings, they're really going to have to t- take a closer look at what their climate risks are, um, and and also uh, do a better job of reporting their their own emissions and and how they can improve those emissions. And and at least in in the U.S., the the, the SEC rule, and I think this is true in Europe, um, you know, companies that are making these lofty pledges, these ESG goals and outlining how they're going to be net zero by 2040, they're going to have a particular obligation to show how they do that. And I think that's something that's really important in this in this ESG movement is to to make sure that we are not just, you know, setting, OK, we're going to be at this point in 20 years, but that we are showing a roadmap for 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 how a company is going to get there and in a year by year tracking and transparency and accountability for for how you're going to get there um, because without that roadmap i think we may end up in 20 years and see a lot of shortfalls uh in meeting a lot of these goals and not just in in private companies also i would say the same is true for for government um you know pledges i think governments need to do the same thing where they're they're outlining exactly how they're going to get there. And if if that outline changes, if the roadmap changes, then that's fine and, and we can go back and revisit. But um, to have a roadmap and to stick to it uh, as much as we can is, is really, really important uh, so that we're showing progress along the way. Absolutely. And there are so many great initiatives and roadmaps now coming into play. The World Green Building Council have recently released their Circularity Accelerated Program to look at those holes in the ground, as you say, driving change so that as we are building those new buildings, at every stage, there is consideration to ensuring at the end of a building life cycle, everything old can be repurposed, recycled and or reused to the greatest extent possible. Absolutely, yes. So on a practical basis, how exactly do green buildings help us during climate change or extreme weather events? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it's not just about you know mitigating climate change, but it's how we're going to be able to to respond to it. How do we adapt? And you know, I think a good example of this. I look back to a disaster in Texas 
2021, uh, in the winter of 2021, where there was this unexpected winter storm that came through Texas, usually a very warm climate in the United States. And it knocked out power. There was ice and snow and um, knocked out power for millions of people. And 246 people, at least 246 people were killed in this sort of surprise winter storm. And when you go back and look at how that happened, I think the conversation around it in the United States was, oh, what was to blame? Was it, you know, not enough wind and solar, the renewables did it, or was it actually the natural gas plants that couldn't function? And it, and it turned out it was a it was a failure across the board of, of generation and planning. But what didn't get a lot of attention was what a demand management, and if we had better buildings could have done about that. So first of all, we would have had you know, if you had 10%, you know, less energy demand, you wouldn't have had the same level of outages. You would have had power on for more people with heat. So reduce risk. If you had better insulated buildings and, and tighter envelopes in those homes and buildings, um, you would have had people who are able to shelter in place, maintain heat, at least a modicum of heat in their homes for a longer period of time. We need to focus, obviously, on better planning and, and ensure that we, we don't have these outages. But a, a, a really good way to get there is through better demand management and increased energy efficiency. Um, and then it also has these re resilience benefits. And it's, you know, it's not just about a, a winter storm. It's, you know, everything from flooding um, you know, where you're building and you're building in a floodplain, how much impervious surfaces are you using? What kind of vegetation and, um, you know, stormwater plans do you have? And all of that is incorporated into to lead as well. And I think resilience is obviously something we have, we are, we are far enough along into the climate crisis that we know we're going to start, we are seeing the real world impacts of, of climate change and, and we, we, we have to mitigate it, but we also have to adapt. Are you looking for a digitalisation and net zero partner to help you achieve your goals? Join the thousands of AEC and manufacturing customers globally who have turned to VinZero to start their journey toward a net zero future. With 32 offices around the world, VinZero can connect you to the right technologies and workflow processes so you can maintain your competitive position and increase profitability. VinZero has an industry expert to help you navigate the best pathway forward wherever you are on your digitalization and net zero journey. Visit binzero.com to find out more. There's definitely a journey of education that needs to take place for occupants and tenants of residential and commercial buildings to really understand the way in which green buildings can protect them during extreme weather events. But climate change is not the only driver for green buildings, is it? No, I think, um, you know, climate change is obviously a primary driver, but, you know, there are a lot of others. We talked about indoor air quality and the importance of that. We, we talked about resilience and the importance of that. I think equity is also a, a, a big part of this. You know, we have to make sure that the benefits of green buildings are not just for the wealthy. We have to make sure that, that this is something that is accessible and available to everyone and that we're meeting communities where they are. And, and I think that's an area where we're spending a lot of time looking at how we can better do that. And how do you, you know, integrate buildings better into a community to where they're a, a part of the community, where they're, you know, whether it's, you know, providing jobs in, in the community or how they're improving the, the landscape of the community and accessibility to mass transit, 
what kinds of jobs are available in the community and, and, and how those jobs are being made available, what kind of an interaction you've had uh, with the community when you're building a building and you're planning a building. So all of those things are really important. We're making sure that the benefits of green buildings are, uh, are available and accessible to everyone. So you touched on the importance of making sure green buildings are affordable and accessible for everyone. How is the US Green Building Council driving an equitable approach to the green building movement? Yeah, we actually do a lot of work uh, on housing affordability and 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 sustainable housing. Um, you know, it's interesting how much when you look at at the what we call energy cost burden which is, you know, what share of your income is going to pay for energy. It's not as if energy is this luxury that you, you know, nice to have thing. I mean, everyone needs power. And, um, and so, you know, what we see is that low income communities in many cases are spending 15 or 20% of their income on the basic necessity of having energy and electricity in their homes. And whereas, you know, upper income households are spending just two or 3%. That is, that is not fair. And, and, and how do we address that? And one of the ways we address that is through energy efficiency. Energy efficiency is gonna, isn't going to completely solve the problem, but we need to make sure that when we are building new affordable housing, we are building it to be efficient and sustainable. And that's going to reduce the long-term costs. And you hear a lot about, again, the upfront costs. Oh, we have to maintain affordability. We have to keep this affordable, but we have to look at operate. We have to take a, a longer term view and look at the, the actual cost of living in the home. I mean, in many cases, energy costs are just a huge burden on households. So we have to address that. We also know that that low income communities in many cases are facing the brunt of climate consequences, um, whether it's flooding or, or storms or, or bad air quality. And so we owe it to those communities to take decisive action on, on that front as well. So as you have said, USGBC is not just about certifications. There is also a drive from an advocacy and policy perspective. What can you share with regards to that work? Sure. So we have a, a small uh, but mighty policy team that, that I'm a part of, and uh, and we work on state and local policy. There's a, a big movement, for example, around building performance standards. Dozens of cities in the United States are starting to establish building performance standards um, many cities and states have uh, ordinances about how or laws about how various types of new construction can be made and support, in many cases, incorporating third-party certification to ensure accountability uh, in, that, in that green building construction. So we work on state and local policy. We also work uh, significantly on federal policy, whether that's you know, tax incentives for uh, high-performing homes and buildings tax incentives for homeowners to, to retrofit their homes or minimum codes and standards. We do a lot of work around minimum codes, which again, I think are, are sort of, they set the floor and they, and they can in many cases protect, particularly our most vulnerable communities from being stuck with shoddy construction, that, uh, high energy bills. We work on federal buildings. We think the federal government has a, has a real role to lead and to show the market how these these green buildings can be done and how net zero and and you know reaching these higher standards can be done so we we do a lot of work on ensuring that when the federal government is building or retrofitting their buildings they're the largest you know building owner in the in the country and the largest energy user in the country they're doing it it the right way the advocacy work we see is critically important because it can help transform the market i, I think one good example is procurement one of the things we've worked on recently is 
is federal procurement. And, and we know that there's a, a lot of new attention around low embodied carbon materials in construction that as we improve the performance of buildings, that the, the makeup of that building becomes more and more uh, important in terms of the carbon footprint. And, you know, the federal government has a really unique role to play in helping to transform those markets toward more sustainable materials. If the federal government is setting specifications in its biddings that, you know, the concrete has to meet a certain standard or the steel has to meet a certain standard, um, you know, the, the contractors are going to note, take notice and they're going to start finding ways to do that. And then that will translate into the broader market. So you mentioned earlier that the USGBC are not just about or not just focused on lead and certainly not just on policy and advocacy. There's some other initiatives that you are driving and, and passionate about. Let's dive into those a little more. Sure. So I think USGBC is best known for, for lead certification um, and, and that really is is you know, where our, our roots and where we started. Um, but USGBC is, is more than lead. We, we have, we have a number of initiatives across, uh, you know, across the built environment to address sustainability. We have our center for green schools, which, which really focuses on, on the sustainability and, and air quality and, and health and resilience of our, of our school system. We have other rating systems. Um, we have a true zero waste initiative, for example, around you know how do you how do buildings and operations get to zero waste? You know, our hands in a lot of things, and and really, I think that gets at USGBC being a mission oriented organization. You know, we we are working to promote green buildings across the world through LEED and through all of these other uh, uh, initiatives. So what are some of the innovative trends you're seeing in the green building space right now? Yeah, it is an exciting time. I think there are a, a number of, of areas that are starting to get a lot more attention. I think as people understand the role of buildings in the climate crisis better, we've talked a little bit about low embodied carbon materials, you know, concrete steel. Those are obviously very energy intensive, carbon intensive products. And and we're starting to see some exciting new efforts to reduce the 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 uh, the carbon makeup of those things like mass timber construction you know really exciting construction practices that haven't been done a lot recently and, and taking a look at those I think integrative design is something also that is that is getting more attention I think one of the things you'll hear if you participate in conversations about sustainable buildings and green buildings is that it is critical to to change the way that you're thinking about how you're planning a building when you when you first conceive of the idea. And, and I think um, it is so much easier to do these things and so much more cost effective. And in many, in many cases, you know, doesn't add cost. If you are starting from the top saying, okay, here's the goals that we have around sustainability for this building. How are we going to get there? before you start, you know, uh, designing and you bring the whole team together about how you can do it so that it's not an add on at the end. It's not something that's an afterthought. It's something that is really core to the entire approach around construction and how you're, how you're going to tackle your, your project. That's something that I think is, is really exciting in that it is getting more attention and, and people are starting to, to see that it's valuable. And, and LEED also recognizes that um, in, in its criteria, encouraging that type of team planning and integrative approach from the start. I think, you know, the ESG movement, there's a lot of criticism about the ESG movement, but I think we do have an opportunity um, to, to get it right. We have an opportunity. I think, I think the good thing about the ESG movement is that there is this demand. There's this consumer demand. Companies 
have to, they cannot, um, you know, there's no hiding from the climate crisis and from sustainability and equitable, uh, you know, practices now. The market is demanding these things. If you're a apartment, if you're building an apartment complex, you need to be a green building. Your your, your rents are going to be higher. Your rates are going to be higher. So, you know, consumers are, are, are also, investors are also demanding it. Investors are looking at very closely at what companies are doing to address these issues, not just for the uh, sort of marketing and, and brand you know, dynamic, but, but also because of the risks. There are very real climate risks. Uh, and and if, if you're not addressing the, these issues, then you could become a stranded asset at some point. If you, if you build a building today uh, that is uh, an energy hog and is energy inefficient, then when that city, your city's building performance standard comes into play in a few years, you're going to be in a hole and you're going to have a huge cost to get up to speed and comply with the new requirements. And so I think there's a lot of risk in terms of not moving to sustainable construction right now. Um, And so investors are starting to recognize that as well. And so I think there's a real opportunity with ESG to, to start doing a better job again of, of, of documenting it and, and accounting for it and measuring it and being transparent. Lead is is obviously a, a really good way to do that. Lead certification in terms of in terms of green building. So there's I think there's excitement there. But one other thing I would mention is is and I think we talked about this a little bit is green building standards. Cities across the United States are uh, and in some states uh, are really looking at green building requirements, um, which you know set again set a floor for what your building um has to do and that includes existing buildings very importantly that includes it so it's not just the minimum codes and things for new construction but for existing buildings um building owners in in many cities will have to improve their buildings within a certain number of years under these ordinances um to for example be you know hit the median level of of performance for a particular type of building or they will face significant fines and so I, I think that's a recognition, uh, particularly in cities or around the country and around the world, that in cities, buildings account for something like 70% or more of, of carbon emissions. I think as cities are starting to look at making pledges about how they're going to reduce their own carbon emissions, they're realizing that buildings is really the the biggest uh, chunk and, and, and how do they address that. And, and so building performance standards, I think, have, have the potential to really drive a lot of change as does, I think, increased disclosure and transparency around performance. What about digitalization in terms of driving or supporting innovation? What are you seeing there? Yeah, that's it's a great question. It really is an exciting area, uh, I think, in, in this field. I think, you know, um, first of all, data collection, you know, with the importance of data and knowing where buildings are and, and, and benchmarking where buildings are. And that's really key and, and fundamental to, to all of this. We obviously, we have to know, you can't, you can't change what you don't measure, right? And, and so, you know, we have to know where our buildings, um, how our buildings are performing. And, and we are doing a better job of collecting data, but we need, uh, we need much more of it. 
to know, you know, what are the steps that need to be taken? So I think, you know, benchmarking is really key to all of this, you know, whether it's the building performance standards, for example, that I've talked about a little bit um, that cities are, are adopting. And I think another exciting field is grid interactive buildings. So this concept that is that has been out there for a long time, um, and we'd like to see more deployment of it, of, of the building buildings talking to the grid and communicating, particularly around peak demand and how do you optimize demand? You know, everyone I think is familiar with the duck curve and how, you know, we, we have to do a better job of balancing the supply of clean power with our energy demand. And, you know, digitization, it can play a huge role in that, whether it's you know, sending signals back and forth, you know, between the grid and, and a building about when to use what and, and, and how. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of potential there to reduce costs. And, and that gets particularly important when we talk about electrification and, and, the, and electrifying everything. Uh, you know, I think electrification is hugely important. I see it really as a form of, of energy efficiency in a lot of ways. But if we are going to electrify all our buildings and, and have all EVs um, taking over fossil fuel powered vehicles, we are going to have to be very careful in how we manage that and how we manage that electricity demand. In many ways, you can't do it in, a, in an affordable way without this kind of better, you know, better monitoring and managing and, and, um, and using that clean power. Um, and I think that also gets back to, to energy efficiency. Um, electrification is something we absolutely need to do, but we have to do it in conjunction with energy efficiency and better building envelopes. In many cases, you can't electrify a building in an affordable way without also tightening the envelope of that of that building. So it's it's really important that we do all these things together. So it'd be easy for people to assume that the US Green Building Council is US centric and totally focused on the Americas, but that's not the case at all. You're quite far reaching, aren't you? I think I mentioned, um, you know, there are more than 106,000 buildings, um, certified, LEED certified buildings around the world in more than 180 countries. Um, so LEED really is a, a global movement. And, that, and that's exciting because there's such a huge opportunity. I mean, you look at the growth rates and the building booms we're seeing in places like Asia and the Middle East and Africa. Um, there is just huge opportunity as we're seeing those building booms to get that right up front and, and, and do it right in the first place. Um, I think, you know, one of the one of the things you hear a lot about is air conditioning, for example, and, and you know, the, the massive expansion we're going to see in demand for cooling around the world. I think it's something like, you know, a tripling of, of, of the demand for air conditioning around the world. And we have to figure out how we're going to do that in a sustainable way, um, because obviously heating and cooling is it makes up the majority of, of energy demand and, and emissions from buildings. And so we really have to figure out how to how to get that right. So it's you know very important that we're doing that around the world, and particularly in areas that are seeing this this rapid development. Construction is is something like a, a ten trillion dollar industry around the world, and it's growing at a at a clip of about four percent. So uh, we have a lot of work to do to make sure that as we're as we're seeing that growth, we're doing it right. Ben, we're coming to the end of our time together on the Think Future podcast. So can I ask you when you think future about the US Green Building Council and some of the great work and projects that you're you're involved in, what is it that excites you the most? Yeah, I think it's just the scale of the opportunity we have. And I think um I think people are 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 starting to really understand more that uh, how important buildings are in the climate crisis. I think for for a number of years we've focused on um 
generation, power generation and, and, and renewables and cleaning the grid. And that is hugely important, rightfully so. We, we have to get that. Um, but I think in some ways that that overshadowed the role of, of buildings and energy efficiency in the climate crisis and, and how we have to have demand side solutions as well. Much more of a focus on that. And I think people are starting to understand that. And I think when you look at the scale of the opportunity, you know, I mean, that demand, buildings account for, for more energy and greenhouse gas emissions than any other sector. Energy efficiency and the buildings trades, the, the job potential, the job creation potential is just enormous. It's the largest clean energy workforce uh, in the United States, and I presume it, around the world. Of all of these building trades, what it takes to 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 build and retrofit, um, you know, uh, uh, buildings to be more energy efficient is just a huge jobs opportunity. And then you know all of these other benefits that you see in terms of whether it's stabilizing demand on the grid or improving air quality and, and health outcomes or, or creating better return on investment. Once people better understand that, that, hey, this is a, yeah, it's a long-term investment, but it will pay off. This pays off. We can, we can make money while reducing carbon emissions. And so I think as there's greater understanding around that, there's just a, a real potential to, to transform buildings around the world. And I'm excited to be a part of an organization that, that plays an integral role in that and, and documenting that and, a, and accounting for that and creating transparency around that. Sure is. And green building councils around the world are playing such an important role for driving the change that we need across the built environment. Ben, it's been great to have you share with us today some of the work the USGBC are embarking on, and we thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure to be here. This podcast was brought to you by VinZero. VinZero helped the AEC and manufacturing industries keep pace with digital change and achieve their technological and sustainability leadership goals. VinZero is a company that cares about creating and building a better world. Together, we are working with industry and environmental experts, providing forums and platforms through our Vinzero Think community to create conversations that matter to our future generations. We invite you to join in the conversation and participate in our Think community. Like and subscribe to Think Future to stay up to date with the latest innovations and conversations as we take AEC and manufacturing around the world closer to zero. You can download our podcasts at vinzero.com or from your favourite podcast platform. From Vinzero Think Future, thanks for listening.